0: up on verse, course verse my education plus uh, giving a friend something that they will remember forever does it get any better than that that's next no! Welcome to Verse Course Verse IMDL. Hope you're well and I've got a short but sweet intro for you tonight because hey, we've got an interview, it's coming, it's ready, and it sits at about a pretty hour already as is, so there's not much I have to do. This is a smack dab in the middle of our interview month. It's going. We think it's going well. Honestly, here's a weird thing. Uh, Once you get into the point where you're interviewing actual touring musicians, boy, does the scheduling change a lot. We've already had a couple moved next year. So we are having a couple less interviews than we thought. I apologize for that. I'm telling you, I've done everything I can to get the people here. Once they they are here, they love it, and we feel like we've made friends forever. We get a lot of support from them, and I really, really appreciate it. But 24 hours before notice of, hey, we're uh, not going to be able to do that this year. Uh, We'll talk to you in a couple months. Boy, is it rough. But here sits an interview that does not do that. Here sits an interview that I contacted, asked about talking to them while they are touring. They also have a new album. He said, of course, he got a couple days free from touring in the middle, and here we are. Just a great dude. We are talking to Trevor Phipps. Of unearth out of massachusetts a old school metal band an incredible metal band a metal band that the only thing i knew about them was that they were evil's favorite band of all time they just came out with their eighth studio album uh, this year called the wretched the ruinous it is i'm telling you what it is way too heavy for me and i fucking love it Yeah, this album got predominantly very positive reviews and a lot of the reviews saying that, you know, old school unearth fans will like this. Uh, It'll be interesting to check out Evil's takes on it. I think he has great takes and check out what he said back in the quick fire because there's some good takes there. I, for one, think it's incredible. There are, uh, God, there's just licks upon licks upon licks in this album. I think Eradicator on it is, it's, (laughs) like I said, it's basically too heavy for me, but it's still, I mean, you have to at least try that song, even if you're not a metal person. But hey, you're listening to this interview with Trevor Phipps. You are a metal person, right? So I can just say, look, is Eradicator not just a fucking hell of a song? My God. Eradicator. I can go through all of them. I could go through, you know, Dawn of the Militant. Man, that song's amazing. Broken Arrow is just insane. They are, they do crazy things in every single one of these. The Wretched and the Ruinous probably being my favorite song, but there are four or five here that I could turn on right now and just listen to and rock out to. Uh, fantastic. These guys are incredibly, incredibly talented. I'm not doing them enough uh, honor of just saying they're incredibly talented. Uh, earth is Trevor Phipps, who's going to be on the show today, their lead vocalist. Buzz McGrath, who's their lead guitarist. Also, just a hilarious follow on social media if you ever want to do that. Buzz McGrath is a hilarious guy. You got Peter Lehman that was on the rhythm guitar and backing vocals for this album. You got Chris O'Toole on bass and backing vocals. You got Nick Pierce on the drums. Will Putney producing this album. Incredible. Right. And then you have Alexandra Goulet on the artwork and Steve Seed uh, engineering. This is a fantastic album. Go pick it up. I am telling you from a metalhead's perspective in evil. This is I'm telling you right now, this is going to be his album of the year. There's not going to be he uh, he thinks this is one of the best metal albums that's ever come out. He honestly does. Uh, he will talk about it plenty on this episode. I'm sure he'll talk about it on the finale. He's talked about it before on the pod when we did a quick fire on it. You have somebody like me who gives the perspective of not a metal head. I respect metal. I respect the musicians that play metal because goddamn is it a hard genre to play. And I'm telling you, as a non-metalhead, this album is awesome. I love listening to it. I've had a great time listening to it and It is one of the few metal bands, metal albums that has a couple songs on my workout playlist. So extremely excited, extremely grateful that this band, this band tours so fucking hard, you guys. All this band does is tour. This is a metal band to the core. They do the small tours. They do the big shows. They do the festivals. They do everything. They keep coming out with albums. You know, this is a band that came out with their first official album in 2001. So they've been around for a very long time and they are playing before that. And considering how much they tour that Trevor took the time to join us today, I, it's just, a, I'm very, very, very grateful. So if you want to buy the new album, you can go to Instagram, Official. That's there. You can. They have a link in their bio right there, which takes you to unearthofficial.com. You can go to unearthofficial.com. There you can buy your merch. You can buy anything you want. You can buy the vinyl. I, have, I always prefer to buy the vinyl from the band's actual website because then at least you know where it's going. If you trust the label, that's fine. Get it off the label if it's a well-trusted label. Those of you that are buying vinyl, a lot of you already know which labels to steer clear of and which labels actually pay their bands a decent amount of money. I just go to the band's website, right? Then you know that it's going, at least part of it, (laughs) is going to the band. Evil is going to join for this. Evil, I don't know if you could guess this, but he is fairly excited. He is glad that we got to interview this gentleman. Uh, I am too. Brand new album, The Wretched, The Ruinous. I'm recording this post-interview. This was an amazing interview. This guy is just super down-to-earth, super chill. Loved this conversation. I love him talking about how they've been a band for so long and stayed steady, stayed healthy, stayed conscious. I'm really, really happy with this one. Uh, I'm proud of this, and, and I know Evil is too. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Trevor Phipps, lead singer of Unearth, joins us, and Evil... Uh, fanboys for an hour We love you, thanks everybody And uh, we'll see you on the other side
1: the on. Let the Fever fuels the down the and the down
0: How's it going? All right, you? Good. Great. You're good. Thank you so much for joining us. Nice having me. Frontman from Unearth, Trevor Phipps, is here. We're going to have a little talk with him. Trevor, thank you very much for joining us in the middle of... How long of a break are you taking from touring? It's
1: just about two and a half months. So we went hard at, at the beginning of the, of the year. For six months, we're out for about four, four and a half months of it. We took the rest of summer off, and we're going to go back at it hard. Uh, starting September 23rd as our first gig back.
0: Do you guys ever just not tour? You guys, it seems like you're you've just been touring for decades.
1: Uh, well, we we committed to doing this full time uh, way back in 2001, so we, we we like to stay busy. But of course, when we're in, in between the album cycle and it's time to record a record, we'll be at home at work on um, writing the album and then our time in the studio.
0: I appreciate you using some of your break to talk to us uh, once again. This is Jimmy. I don't know. He's probably top ten unearth fans. I, t- I yeah. Guess.
2: I'm trying to like contain it. You guys are like literally my favorite band. Have been since the oh, endless yeah. EP, and so I'm pretty stoked and uh, um, really thankful that years. thankful that you're you're chatting with us today. So
1: yeah, super Thanks excited, having you guys. It's a, it's a pleasure.
0: Really, my introduction was your new album, which is incredible, by the way. I absolutely love it. He's working slowly on introducing me into. What I don't know, what would you say, real metal? I don't. know.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. It's good to have a friend to kind of show you different forms of music that you might not have been into before. So uh, thanks for doing that, Jim.
2: Absolutely, man. Yeah, our our podcast we're we're a music podcast. We're not any specific genre, and I just happen to be kind of the hard rock, heavy metal guy. And so any chance I get to expose a broader audience to stuff that I love, I, I'll jump at it. So
1: Like a true metalhead.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's always good to share music with friends, you know? It's not something new that comes out or you find something that you hadn't heard before and you are excited to show your friends.
0: We did a quick fire review recently where we, we do it four times a year where we talk a real short amount of time on brand new albums. And the other people that were doing it with... Uh, Jimmy, we don't know that much about metal. I know a good amount, but not a lot. And we were, all of us, no matter how metalhead we are, were really impressed with The Wretched and the Ruinous and incredibly impressed. It's such a good album. Yeah, thanks,
1: man. Appreciate the kind of words. How long were you working on that album? That one was a long time because it was uh, Buzz wrote the music uh, during the pandemic. So we were pretty burnt out on touring. Uh, we were, we toured right up until the pandemic was starting. We were actually in Europe. We flew home on March 1st, 2020. And uh we we're about a year and a half or a l- little more, a year year and a half into the touring on, on that record. We've kind of reached near the end. So everyone was pretty tired anyway. So we just kind of forgot about everything for about six months, focused on family. And then we started to get the itch again, but of course we couldn't play live shows. And uh Buzz Buzz just just started writing and he hit that hard. And uh he would send us the files with the drum machine, yeah, riffs and kind of have us all kind of give our our two cents of how the structure goes, but he generally sends over songs a pretty good structure. Then it's our turn to, to work on them. Um, and once the song structure is complete, that's when I add my my vocal patterns and eventually my my lyrics. He worked really hard for about two two plus years, right or two two years ish. Wow. And once the song finalized, I started going at the vocals and lyrics. And uh, it took me a bit to finish that. So we, we hit the studio, and it was October of twenty twenty one. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't finish until June of twenty two. So we went past our allotted time, and basically had to play catch up with our producer Will the schedule. I had to go in and kind of find openings that he had. He's he's super busy. He's in a bunch of bands and yeah. very sought after <laughs> producer. I to just drive down to Jersey on weekends here and there just to, to, to finish up.
0: It's fantastic. It's very obvious that you guys put a lot of work into it. Buzz and you have been there since the beginning. Have you always written like that? Or is it was that more of a sign of the times that you kind of had to be separated doing that kind of writing?
1: The first half of our career, we would always write together in a jam space. You know, Ken, our old guitar player, and Buzz would just come to practice with, with riffs. They'd present them to us and our drummer at the time. We had a few different ones in the early days. Uh, we just write that way. I had a boombox where I actually have a, a cassette tape, and I record it, and that's how I would get my, you know, I would get the demos for recording. Then as, as technology progressed, it became easier to get, you know, studio equipment, or at least something on the computers. The guitar player started to, to do the drum machine, and then just write riffs and then present to us their song structure. So it, it really cut the, the practice time down. It's good and bad. I mean, people can be creative on their own, but sometimes I, I really did enjoy the, uh, the rehearsing ideas together, hatching hashing out ideas. And one, one of our most popular songs is a song called Endless. And the breakdown on that song was slightly different when it was first written. So the song was the way it oh. was. And coming out of the heavy stoner part towards the end, a drummer at the time, Mike Rudberg, he dropped his stick before he went to the breakdown. And the way he picked up so quickly, but it created a stutter. It changed the breakdown a little bit. And it just as soon as it happened, our drummer just stood up. He threw sticks and he walked around the room like Patina said. He, that's how he, he expresses his excitement on things. <laughs> we kind of realized we stumbled into making the song better. So that that doesn't happen when you're doing it on your own on a computer. So that right. And that's a that's a pretty unique. Thing that happened uh, usually it's it is you know this is how the part goes let's rehearse it and make it good but that mistake actually made the song one of our, our better songs
2: that's the song that got its hooks into me that that ep was when i found you guys it's still one of my favorites i know you re-recorded it for the oncoming storm and i like that version but that first version it's there's a rawness to it that maybe because it's what i heard first it's still my favorite of the two versions
1: there's something about that time we're very young and usually, when a song is fresh, it seems like you you put a different energy into it. So I've noticed that any times that we we re-record a song, although it might be technically more proficient, it loses some of that initial energy. Um, ah. And you'll see bands do that. You know, some bands yep. re-record songs later. You know, years later. Yeah, it sounds good, but it just doesn't have that same the same energy or push or oomph. And I guess it's just the excitement and the rawness the, the, uh, the and freshness of so just both that song. This is the adrenaline flow to, to record it. That really matters.
0: I've been listening a lot to your whole discography, getting ready for this for a month or longer. And the Endless EP was the one that, besides your new album, that was the one that immediately grabbed me. Evil made me a little bit of a tracks you should maybe <laughs> listen to thing before this. And in real big bold letters on endless, it's do not skip. <laughs> so
1: yeah. really? that's, that's <laughs> I like that. That EP did a year before our first full name came out. This thing's a conscience and. It did well for us, and we got opportunities, but as soon as we put out Endless, uh, the EP, it really seemed to, to create more opportunities for us, more twin 12, 12 opportunities, and that's when we got noticed by a bunch of labels, and things just kind of went from there. And I, We sometimes joke about it, like, man, we wish that was a full length, and we, we just didn't have a yeah. amount of songs to put a full length out, so because we, we really were firing on all cylinders at the time. It was the original on our first five guys. It was a really, really fun time.
2: You've had a, a fair amount of, of personnel changes over the years. But I feel like, like I saw you, you, number one, thank you for adding a Boise show on your <laughs> tour. Like DL knows that when the, <laughs> your like Northwest leg came out earlier this year, you had like a block of days back to back to back ending in Portland and then a free day. And then another block of days starting in Salt Lake. And I'm like, man, they're going to drive through Boise. They have to. And I'm like, why didn't they just put, I, I, and I get it. You guys are super busy and you're playing every single night. And then a couple of weeks before you added the show, and I'm just like, "Oh my god!" And I was there, postage stamp size stage in this little rinky-dink place in Boise. But you stopped and played for us, and I'm so eternally grateful for it.
1: That was a fun show, man. It, it, that we didn't want the day off as the band went from a local band to a regional band, and you know, to some you know touring. But we we got our, our start I and mean, the hardcore scene. We played more metal leaning music. But we started Mm -hmm. in Harkerson and and toured a lot of hardcore bands over the years. It was a Saturday night for one. We didn't want a Saturday night off. But the the people that work for us, the the booking agent, they have their people they work with. It's usually bigger venues or or more uh, professional venues. And so he's like, yeah, Boise's booked. They're like, well, that makes sense. We We haven't been there in years. I'm like, yeah, sorry, this is nothing I can do. So then we just started asking friends. Who knows who in Boise? And I actually uh, reached out to my friend Steve in Denver. He's always in bands. he said I, I got a guy who might do a show and sure enough within an hour or two we had a hold on on that venue and i'm glad we did it, it was a lot of fun it was packed one fun.
2: i was right there i was like right in front, <laughs> in front of you i had a foot on the, saw the, you, yeah. the <laughs> yeah. you were right there you remember
0: that big bald head right so <laughs> i a funny story
2: uh i i like parked near the venue and I was going to walk further into downtown and grab a bite to eat with a buddy of mine who was also at the show and get a couple of drinks. And as I'm walking past the venue, I see a van pull up and I'm like, I think that's buzz driving. Like I said, I'm like a huge fan. So I'm I'm kind of like fanboying a little bit and he gets out and I'm like, I'm so glad you guys are here. And he looks at me with that mustache. And he's like, yeah, me too. And turns around and walks away. And <laughs> <laughs> that's the best buzz moment I could have. And then you guys all came out and And you're all super gracious, and I'm like, I gotta leave these guys alone and stop being an idiot.
1: Boise was always, always really good to us, but we we didn't get the opportunity to go back. enough. I'm not sure what the issue is. We we always ask, you know, anytime we do a nationwide tour, there's that kind of there's a bunch of days with long drives, and Boise makes sense to play because between Seattle and Salt Lake we don't often get the opportunity
2: kind of i was talking about i got sidetracked on my stupid stories um (laughs) i (laughs) I, I feel like you guys have had some personnel tuning over through the years but i feel like the crew that you're you have together right now like mike justin's back in drums he's phenomenal i thought nick was great as well but mike his live performances are just crazy and then with pete on board i feel like you guys have like a well-oiled machine right now and you're i see the sky's the limit like how do you feel about the the state of the band and how do you see the the future of the band with the current group you have now and and the tours lined up and, you know, potential next albums.
1: We've been lucky to, you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about any ex-member we've had. Some people just don't want to do it for, uh, or can't do it for as long as that we have planned out. We want to do this until we physically can't do it anymore. Uh, we really enjoy playing live; That's why we tour so much. But the, the group of guys we have now, as soon as we started playing shows last July, so July of 2022 was the first time we could Hit, hit the stage with this particular lineup and it just felt it felt like home for us and every everyone's is, is uh on the same page everyone's super positive everyone's happy to be there mm. so just that energy creates positivity that just lends you to play another day and gets you excited to play and push each other and we're doing different things different exercises different dietary things that are helping us get more energy just really <laughs> pushing each other to to thrive and succeed. And uh, we really have so much fun doing it. Man. And there's, there's so much competition that always think about being on, on the top of our game. Because there's so much great music out there, so many killer young bands, so many great more you know legacy bands are staying on for a long time. So it's, we want to be part of the conversation for the long run. You know, We, we idolize bands like Camel Corpse and Testament, you know, Exodus, who have never been the biggest bands in the world, but they maintain their credibility in Underground Oak. I, I think a great example now is Obituary. They've had their... Their ups and downs over the years, but now they might be bigger than they've ever, ever have been because the respect, consistency, writing good music, writing great records, and having an awesome live show, even though they have a, a great fan base, the band's getting bigger, you know, 30 something years into their career. And it's just really cool to see.
0: You talked about dietary things. And one of the things that hits me when watching your live performances and listening to this new album thing, especially as a band that's been around for over 25 years, to be in a band that is this technical and you are screaming your fucking ass off the all night that's got to be exhausting what do you do to prep for that and do you ever just sit there and think fuck i wish i just wrote three power <laughs> chord songs with <laughs> with super easy singing so we could just play one of those a night
1: no no we, we like pushing ourselves Yeah, you know we've, we've had to adjust in our 20s it was easy you know but as years go on certain things certain habits that you have with food and alcohol. And however you treat yourself, uh, you know whether you exercise or not, it does add up. As you get older, you can't perform at a high level anymore if you don't make changes. We realized years ago we had to start making changes, so we did. And we did the natural ones, like maybe drinking a little bit less, not partying quite as hard, still partying, but not, not as hard as we did. And then it was cutting out all fast food. We started to kind of dwindle it down to the ones we thought would be cool, but now just we don't ever stop the fast food.
0: How hard is that on the road? It's easier than you think.
1: You don't have to, to go to a fast food place and get a burger, man. Like, plenty of truck stops have that fresh food section. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get something to hold you over to get to the venue. And then usually have snacks there, or you find a restaurant after you load in and sound check and have something decent. But the different thing we started trying uh, last year was uh, a few of us went vegetarian. Some of us not 100% vegetarian, but on tour, we are. I've been a meat eater my whole life. And I promised the guys I'll try it for three days. I'm not kidding when I when I say big meat eater. I it almost every meal, not not breakfast, but I had nothing nothing bad to say about eating meat besides I you know killing animals. But I just loved it. I tried vegetarian. My energy went way up, and sustained that too. It was noticeable, very noticeable. And my performance was better. My singing was better. I wasn't as tired after the gig. It was it was really something to it. As I've gone on, I do this every tour. And I really focus on it, and it's, it does seem to make a huge difference. And uh, the guys in the band that do do it have also expressed the same exact thing. And we encourage each other, because of course, you know we're, we're all on the board by nature. We're lifelong meat eaters, but uh, we kind of support each other, and it does matter. It, it doesn't make a difference for us. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but it doesn't matter. It, it has made a difference for us.
0: I know that kind of speaks. So you personally write all the lyrics? Because they're pretty politically conscious it's a lot of what are we doing to the environment and i'll let you know speaking to going vegetarian type things of was that always an important thing to you or is it just something that kind of naturally came out your lyrics just needed to speak to something important
1: throughout my entire career i've, I've, I've tried to write something that that matters but i thought was important socially speaking since our first record i've had a song or two about the environment on every record First record, Banishment. Mm-hmm. Hungry Storm has a bunch of them, and so on. Last record, Extinctions, my intention was to write a concept record about the environment. But as we started getting into the record, I only got about halfway done, and then I really wanted to sing with other things. So I kind of got distracted with it. But this time around, it's more evident than ever that we need to make drastic changes as a human race to, to better the only place we have to live. There's no spaceship to take us anywhere yet. We have to stop disregarding the nature around us and the animals around us because there is there is a balance in nature. And once we reach a certain tipping point, then it's going to be really difficult for us to exist on this planet. And so we do have to respect our surroundings. That is what I wanted to get across. And I do think that a big, a big reason for that, besides it being obvious, is that uh, in 2013, I had my first child, 2017, the second child, and seeing them grow up, I want to give them a world, at least try to make an effort and spread, spread my voice for a change for the better uh, so they don't have to worry about the health that likely come through
2: making Your lyrical content and the message in the music, like the music's fantastic, but the message along with it is part of why for me and, and for your fan base, and I think for everyone else, the music is going to age very well. Hmm. Another piece of the puzzle that has made you guys age extremely well for me is you keep pushing, you know, some of the, the behavior changes that you've made on, on tour to kind of keep everything firing on all cylinders. The, uh, one thing i I'm really been impressed with over the last couple of albums last is your vocal progression. Buzz's progression as a guitar player. A lot of bands, they get to a point in their career where they're just like, all right, we're good. And they just float, they plateau, and they just ride it out. You guys are always pushing. I got the, the zen is screaming right here. I know you're working with Melissa Cross. I've seen like Buzz post videos. He posts like videos of him practicing. I think you answered this question a little bit talking about like you're having children, but like where does that fire come from to just keep pushing forward?
1: Thanks for the kind of words. Yeah, we've we've really focused on our craft. Buzz and I have, have really pushed forward with what we do. Um, and I think we kind of piggyback on each other. Buzz really stepped up in this record. He forced himself outside his comfort zone to write slightly different than he's ever written instead of leaning into the what would feel natural he took a minute took a breather and tried to think of a different way to progress
0: really melodic
1: very melodic yeah a lot more melodic death metal sounds on this Mm -hmm. record we've always had that part of our our albums but this one is really heavily in there which allowed me to kind of have a different approach vocally and it just naturally comes that way so i'll I'll, I'll hear the music and i'll I'll hear patterns in my head and I'll, i'll hear how the vocals should go and even if i've never done that sound before i hear it and then so then I'll, I'll rehearse it here as my attic and uh, of the mic and interface, and I'll, I'll do that. But I never get quite as good as when I'm in the studio. In the studio, there's adrenaline. And you also have the producer who can mix your ears end bit better than I can do it on my on my rig. It's also good having a producer because he's, he's like a coach. Mm. Do it again or whatever. It's, it's an environment that I thrive in. Uh, but as to what keeps us going, I don't feel old at all. <laughs> I'm not old, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm in my 40s. Uh, I feel like I'm in my 20s. I really enjoy playing. Uh, performing live no buzz does too it's it's part of what we both live for we both have children so of course we live for them as well our family and friends but as far as a passion project it's like i said we want to do this until we can't Anymore, and uh, hopefully that's a very long time away. Amen to that.
0: So you were talking about producers. You were produced a lot by Adam early on, and the last couple by Will. What would you say are the biggest differences working through the, the newer albums versus the old? And with I think you worked with Terry Date. Terry too. Date and Mark Lewis on Watches yeah. Rule, which is that's right. Yes,
2: I like I love Watches Rule. So.
1: Each, each guy is a, is a very different personality. They're all extremely different people, but they're all professionals. And they. I, I enjoyed working with every single one. The biggest difference was I worked with Terry. Uh, we had this a DVD about it, whereas much of the record, I didn't even use headphones. He had a monitor in front of me. he had worked with some artists that had done that before. I think he said Chio had done that. Rob Zombie had done that, I think he said. So it's a different approach. I I want kind of the live vibe and I use the a live mic, it's an SM fifty eight instead of the normal SM seven. Wow. So that's why the the, the vocal sound a bit higher mm-hmm. on that record. It's uh it's it's supposed to be a live record. There's no click track, uh right. drums were all done. Once a guitars were all done. There's there's no extra punching that happened. That was supposed to be a live sounding record. And the way I did the vocals was um I would do three lines at a time, then do them again. i do I'd do three times and then move on wouldn't punch i'd sit down after the song with terry and then pick the best of each of the three lines and that's it's basically just the live take there's no punches here and there it just was this is what it is so that was the only real major difference but each starting with adam he has extreme knowledge of, of music and he plays so many different instruments i guess the same can be Instead for Will and Mark, they're all great players. and mm-hmm. um, know so much. More recently, I've, I've really enjoyed working with Will Putney because he does extreme studying. He does his homework on everyone's strengths and what the band sounds like and what he thinks the band should lean into more. And it's just, so it's to have the conversation with someone who's acting as if they're a member of the band, you, you accept them into that, and that just helps you be more creative. Um, and we gave him a producer credit on this record because he was... He was basically a part of the band on this album. and He really helped us make it better. Fantastic.
0: Were you a founding member of Unearth? Was it you and Buzz that decided we're going to do this?
1: The way the band started was with a band called Point 04. They were from Lynn, Massachusetts. And I was in a band called Second Division. We went by the name 2D. And we played shows with each other all the time. So we were already friends. They wanted to try something different. And uh, they started writing songs. They had like three or four songs without their singer. Our old guitar player, Ken, came over to my house and I just had my appendix out. I was home in the parents' house of like 19 and 20. And he's like, hey, uh, we want you to sing for Unearth. i sorry, the, the band wasn't called Earth yet. And I'm like, no, because I was really good friends with the guys in second division, because most of them were in my band from high school. So this is now my second band. They're really tight friends. So I didn't want to leave. came over like three days in a row. I'm like, No, man, I, I just want to. All right, so come to our side project. We gonna do this band where we all wear screen masks I just gonna goof off and just play ultra heavy stuff and we're gonna be called Karnov. I'm like, okay, I, I can do that. So I go to the rehearsal space, which the first drummer's uh basement of his parents' house, and I show up and it's not Karnov, it's the .04 guys. i go, like, okay, so you you learned me in here. I drove, <laughs> you know, 30 minutes and they started playing our song called Shattered by the Sun. There's you know, no no vocals, of course, yet just the music. And I was like, holy shit. Because the band I was in was more of a hardcore band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, man, I really want to focus on metal. I've never been in a true metal band this is heck what I want to hear. Basically, we just agreed to work together right then and there. And I had to let my guys in the Second Division know. When we played one last show, it was emotional, but uh, I was happy to move forward. And then our drummer at the time, like Redberg, named the band. He, our intention was to make something different, heavy, but mixed metal and hardcore and different sounds that hadn't been recorded before. Essentially, he did that to try to create something new. He called it Unearthing a New Sound, and that's how we got the name. He wanted it to be a two-syllable name, something that people could chant. That's you know? <laughs> smart. All Branding from
0: her from the from the get go—that's smart. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it kind of traditional shit ton of local shows getting the name out there and then recording kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I remember one day we did, we did two shows in one day. They were probably twenty minute rides apart. We were just looking for gigs and just kind of horn our sound. But the first show we we did, Buzz actually booked it, and we wanted to start off and give the area a good look at what we were working on. And he booked it was all at War and Buried Alive. We're doing like a mini tour. I think he paid like six hundred bucks for the package and rented out the local, it's called the Shoemaker Post, which is basically like a VFW hall or social club. Hmm. And I think the hall cost 200 bucks or something. You know, it was like seven bucks at the door. His pager number was on the <laughs> bottom. That's how it was like the like thickest page buzz. And this is 1998. So the show was packed out. So this was a, a really great first show. We had another great second show, but then of course we had some shows that weren't so great uh, as we kind of went away from our home area. But as soon as we put out our demo tape, it was in December, our shows just started to turn around really quickly and people singing along and then we got picked up quickly by endless fight records and they put out that that demo tape on a cd I, I retract some vocals for the last song on uh, a song called lefty so that was our first cd but yeah then, then we started doing regional touring and then by 2000 we were signed to Eulogy recording put out our, our first length in january did a 10-day tour to florida and back and then once ken and i graduated from uh, university at the end of may We hit our first nationwide tour in June. We haven't looked back since, and we we gave it one year. Like, all right, let's do it one year, and then get desk jobs where we have to do. After one year was up, it was good enough to see another year. And that happened for two more years, and then we just got signed to Metal Blade Records towards the end of all three. All right, this is it. Let's let's, uh, let's give this a, like a long term shot.
0: Did that feel like a really big deal when you got signed to Metal Blade? Because that was that was a big thing at that time.
1: That was huge. Uh, we, and we had other big labels, that Office contracts, but Metal Blade seems to be the most genuine. It wasn't even the biggest financial offer or anything. Like they just they just seemed like they they cared the most and it seemed like they wanted to put the most into the band.
2: I remember their website early promo for the oncoming storm. They had like. When you would lo- like load up their homepage of their website, they had the opening riff for Black Hearts Now Rain and like a skull would fly in. And then the, like the second turnaround of the riff, another skull would fly in. And I was so fucking stoked for that album. <laughs> they recognized what was going to happen
1: for sure. Uh, that was a really, a really great setup. And uh, I know Brian Slagle, the owner, he, he really liked Black Hearts Now Rain a lot. And I think that's a song that actually convinced him to sign us. Uh, so we did a demo, for labels, Black Carson and our Rain, and we did another song we sent, Throwing Away. But that one caught, caught his ear. Still play it today. It's a oh, song. yeah. But uh, yeah, one, most, to answer your question, yeah, uh, once we signed to Metal Blade, we were touring enough and shows were going well enough that we knew that, you know, things would go well for at least X amount of years. Because we were really hitting our stride with the live show and, and uh, people were just losing losing their minds at our gigs. But to sign to a bigger label like that, nobody had that support um, worldwide. Uh, was a game changer. It allowed us to to really focus on touring as a full time gig. And from from that point on, we've gone for nine months a year plus for like five six years. We did a lot of heavy touring.
0: Being a metal band, the metal genre in general, as far as the fans are so intense, and there have been kind of pockets of the past where they've been, let's say, hard to please. Have you gone through any of that or is it like, what are the giant perks of, of metal fans and times in the past where it may have been a little bit difficult to be in the metal genre because of how obsessive the fans are?
1: I wouldn't say I've had any difficulty with, with metal fans at all. I just, if there's been any criticism, um, you know, people like to be, they like to express themselves with more vitriol online sometimes. So if I hear criticism, I, I do read it, and I don't get upset. I know that people are saying it behind a keyboard, uh, but <laughs> I will, I will, I will listen to it, and I will, I will strive to improve. And I do, I do believe that that also fuels buzz. I'm not, I don't want to speak for them, but it does help us continue to want to get better and just to quiet any, any naysayers. And when you do improve, and you just see more positive comments, it does make you feel like, all right, well, we're pleasing more people, you know. But but ultimately, we're we're, we're here to, to make ourselves happy. We, like I, I want to be the best. The best version of this style of vocalist there is. Uh, I think the best one that is, 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 a, is a similar style is Chuck Billy because he does everything. You know, he's some of the best girls on the planet, but he can also sing. He's got pro- probably the best mids and metal is his voice is so recognizable when he does that. Chuck Billy is heavy, but still singing. It's just perfect. So I'm, I'm aiming to just to have that kind of range. I'm trying to prove on it every day, every album, every tour. Um, I use that as kind of like the, the pinnacle. Where metal band were a bit more in the hardcore world, I'd like to expand on that. I, I, I'd like to be recognized in a, in a similar way in this in this particular. Subgenre of
2: any metal. That's an interesting take. Watchers of Rule is one of my favorite albums that you guys put out. Like in my vein, like in the Eyes of Fire, Watchers of Rule, the new album. New album is my favorite album, hands down. It's just so good. I love your entire catalog, but that's kind of the vein that I like. I remember you guys, number one, you covered a Slayer song on the extended version of that, of Watchers of Rule. In that era, you were being referred to as like the Slayer of metalcore. And at that time, like the, the kind of the cohort of that early 2000s. That's
0: just such a silly
2: sentence for yeah, a so guy st- that like the, the slayer of metal. Well, co- I'll play this through it. and it'll make sense. Yeah. I've
1: like, heard all this before. From you.
2: Sure. At that point, that was like 2016 It's when that album came out. Your kind of contemporaries, Killswitch, Shadows Fall, All That Remains, As I Dying, Chimera, God Forbid. All, all those bands I love. They had all kind of gone different directions you know they'd either gone kind of commercialized their sound a little bit to pull in a broader audience or call it quits you know I was super sad when God forbid called it quits I love those guys drama cropped up and the band had to halt for other reasons don't need to get into those kind of things but you guys are just like soldier forward and it, it's interesting you, you bring up Chuck Billy because I think of you more like a testament of metalcore like you're you're much more versatile than Slayer and you're consistently putting out such good albums and that watchers of rule album, like, Oh, these guys are going to, they're not going to stop. They're just going to keep pushing forward and and going ahead. I want to segue this into a question about like your current tour coming up and, and the tour that you had just previously, uh, because shortly after you played here in Boise, you went on a a leg, um, going out with the halo effect. And then you're going to be going on tour. I think by the time our, this episode comes out, you might actually be on tour with uh, Cola headlighting with Revocation.
0: You'll be right in the middle of yeah. the kind of the East Coast going up to Canada tour, yeah. Oh, and I love both of those bands. Your
2: story about the band's kind of the genesis of the band's name, like pulling in hardcore and metal, you had all these comparisons with like, it's like Earth Crisis mixed with In Flames or Iron Maiden mis- mixed with Crowbar. But I feel like you guys have transcended those comparisons and you're your own thing now. What was it like touring with the Halo Effect, which these obvious influences? And then how did you get connected with Revocation? Because I love both of those bands a, a ton.
1: Yeah. Um Revocation is an awesome band. We've we've uh, we've tried throughout the years to tour together. We, our our album cycles and sponsorships schedules just, just never lined up. We are with the same booking agency, so it it seemed to make sense. And uh, they were free, we were free, and it makes sense to, to co-headline with those guys. We're a similar style of the bands, yeah, they're just an awesome band. So we're really looking forward to touring with them. And uh the, name of the package is sick too. Enfios, who are a killer. Kim yeah. Crab, what a what a vocalist. Holy hell, the, the her range is. Is just it's brutal. The highs and then the, the lows, and then she can sing. I mean, she's awesome too, you know. Uh, and then high command from the Massachusetts. But they they were on the dates, uh on the, the Halo dates with us. Right, and right. They're they're great. You know, it's it's kind of in the vein of you know, power trip, but a yep. a bit more triumphant metal, and it's it's really cool and, and uh they're, they're fun guys as to well. So looking forward to that tour quite a bit, um after, especially after such a long layoff. Uh we, you know we have the show with megadeth in september That's this will be there after that but looking forward to that gig that then we'll biohazard but then we start the tour so it should, it should be a, a lot of fun i know the tickets are, are selling well so there should be should be a party out there you're heading to france too in november right yeah so that tour is it's not it's just like a 10-day tour it's just not fully announced yet it's uh some festivals are announcing us kind of in dribs and drabs but our, our booking agents from germany are european agents so he's on vacation right now but we don't have all the uh Info, but that, that, that tour should be announced shortly.
0: We have some European listeners, so go see them.
1: We've been doing UK, France, Germany. That's all I know right now. There's probably a couple other countries in there, but we just did a tour there in June. Um, we really enjoyed going to Europe. How
0: do the crowds compare in Europe to here?
1: I mean, it's very similar. Um, when we first started going in the early 2000s, uh, the, the moshing was a little bit different. It wasn't quite as aggressive as it is in the States, but basically, once YouTube got invented, metal and hardcore seen acts and dress dresses very similar around mm-hmm. the world um, the pits are almost identical um, people react the same way and, yeah it's, it's not much different at
0: all kind of speaking to the different regions and everything are you personally from boston proper
1: i grew up a town called Wakefield, which is about 10 miles north of boston
0: yeah the, so the
1: we sort of
0: you were part of the 90s into 2000s massachusetts particularly boston Hardcore scene was massive like it, it changed a lot of shit. What was that scene like did you guys know what you were in at that point
1: because the internet wasn't what it is today. I guess we just thought that's what the local scene was, you know, we had bands that, once a month. I feel like I was seeing this thing called Sam Black Church, one of my favorite local bands of all time. Uh, they, they should have been enormous uh, because they're the, the front man is the most energetic front man ever. Jet, Sand Black Church, Tree, Only Living Witness. Uh, then you had Cave-In and Overcast. Like all these bands, Slapshot, uh, these bands really, really kind of inspired the local scenes to, to exist. So we, we lived in you know, what we call the North, North Shore in Massachusetts. And so we had kind of a North Shore hardcore scene. You know, metal bands, hardcore bands all played together. we rent out halls, play basement shows, practice space shows. When those things happen, it just means that it's a healthy local scene. I know a lot of different states and cities have have that that it kind of kind of comes and goes, but that that time for for the Massachusetts scene was very strong. I was really excited to be part of it. because you'd book a show, local bands. You'd have two, three, four hundred people come, and there's there's no national act on there; just local local bands. And it was, it'd be, it'd be.
0: was it competitive? There's so many bands here, we have to stick out, or was everybody pretty cool with each other?
1: It was competitive. It was, it was friendly. Everyone was, was was rooting for each other, especially when us and Shadows Fall, Red Cord, and Killswitch engage. We all started to to kind of step up and be more regional and even you know national touring and then into international. But we were always trying to to improve. You know, we we want that other bands that we came up with like oh killer killer work on this record. I remember very clearly our first trip to Europe in two thousand two was in was in April. It was March April. Uh, Mike D. from Killswitch gave us an advanced copy of The Lava Just Breathing. So we were friends. We already had the EP that some, you know, many shows together. But he gave us this record. We were like, holy shit. Like <laughs> the world's about to change. I think about how important that record was. Yeah, Lava Just Breathing came out months later, but we had it. And we just we passed around a Walkman, probably a Sony walking with headphones, and we had a minivan, we all cramped this minivan at first tour. And just pass walking in all day long during the Horizon, like just blowing away, like right, that's good. So that that fired us up to write better songs, you know. And it's just that it's just kind of like the the domino effect of the bands, just kind of pushing each other to to, to, to be better.
2: I remember seeing, I, I picked up Alive or Just Breathing. It was on an end cap at a Best Buy, and the sticker on the on the cellophane wrap said "Trend Free Metal." And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I like this cover. I'm going to buy it, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> that was what a great album.
1: Yeah, great, great album.
0: Well, you're trend free. Congratulations. <laughs>
1: that's, that's an all timer for sure.
0: Yeah. You guys tour so much, and that seems to be such an important role in your uh, your action as a band. Coming out with this album being somewhat of a of a COVID album, how difficult has it been as a band that's been around for a long time transitioning into this new era of being a band where you really kind of have to self-promote making shit on Spotify listens. How much did COVID hinder that? And how have you guys circumvented the change in the music industry since you started?
1: You always have to adapt for sure. Um, And the main thing that I think happened for us during the past couple of years has been focusing on our socials. and we've had some help from uh, people at Century Media There's one person in particular uh, out of Spain uh, that now is a former employee but really helped me because I, I run on our socials. Um, I don't even do personal. I have a Twitter. I mean, now it's X or whatever, but I haven't posted on that in a long time. Um, I have names. I don't spend my personal time posting. I run on Earth ones so that takes up any kind of social media time I want. Uh, but I was given a lot of great pointers. And I still have a lot to learn, but I, I do believe that that doing, you know, staying active on top of these social media to self-promote does really help. Because if you think back to when Pantera got really big, they got big very quickly in mm-hmm. the 90s. And I really do attribute a lot of that to so besides it being phenomenal music, you know, one of the best live bands that ever exists. Uh, what helps promote that were their own videos. I remember mm-hmm. watching mm. the first one. But- yeah. The first the first home videos with my you know friends when I was we were in high school just watching it incessantly and being able to, be, being able to recite it I still recite it. and anytime it says donuts he, he he likes donuts though. Like I just, I pull quotes from it but it's such an impactful you know documentary or just footage edited together. So basically they were they released their own social media before it even existed and mm-hmm. these you know live videos. And I know from you know, Tomlin's totally image plan is that Dime has uh, Bobby Tongs with him at all times. And he would have the camera capturing, you know, hours and hours of footage. And there's, there's so many hours that are just there that haven't been seen by the world, but if you edit them together in a way, be entertaining. And, and what it does, it gets your fan base to get to know you. And if you're likable or at least you know tolerable, people enjoy the music, they can find a, a relation to you. And which only amplifies, band makes people enjoy music more Uh, so i do think that's important to really stay top of your social
0: you guys also have a really good dynamic because i've started following you guys too and you have a very good social media presence of what you're supposed to be on social media the reminders and the look what we did and the the awesome live footage and stuff like that and then you have buzz who's just kind of fucking insane who's just posting like pictures of toilets and shit it's kind of perfect.
1: Yeah, his, uh I, I enjoy his personal social media quite a bit. <laughs> oh, my God. He
2: posted – there was a clip that he posted. It was last summer. It's just him, and he just hits, like, the touchpad on a laptop and the intro to Into the Abyss plays. And I don't know if he was supposed to or not, but when I heard that song for the first time when you dropped the single, I'm like, there it is. It, it was <laughs> – whether he – I, I i'm guessing he didn't pre-plan that to be genius but holy it worked for me he's he's so hilarious to watch uh, i don't think
1: he was supposed to but no one no. ever gave a shit for it so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that song rips by the way oh my god
1: but <laughs> it's also funny song. too because uh, labels are always asking for playthrough videos and so he he did a couple in his bedroom has his bed behind him and that's not the, the central media and they're like uh it's we can't release that it's it's just the bedroom it should be and this has a couple clips of more professional looking ones especially shot and like, oh fuck it he's posted himself and he got he got tons of views you know people i don't i think that maybe the industry cares about stuff like that but i think that the people who enjoy a band just want to see it real i agree in his bedroom.
0: No, you you just saying that, and no no offense to any, as a fan, we would not give two shits if it's in a bedroom or no.
1: whatever. No. Uh, it's, it's, I, I love social media. They, they are a label, they choose very well, but I just, yeah. that's the difference of opinion on you know, not posting it in <laughs> I get having it look all pro and, and slick, but um sometimes people just want, want things to be real. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: You being from Mass, I usually ask people where their favorite town to play is. But I'm assuming that not only if it's not Boston, I feel like you have to say it because Boston is just such a fiercely loyal town that you might get eaten alive if you don't say Boston.
1: The funny thing is that we don't often get to play Boston Boston—it's—it's it's tough to find an all-ages venue in Boston. <laughs> uh, the, the bar the bar circuit is so profitable in Boston that you know they—they they do exist, but on the club the club level, you need to play Worcester. Which is about forty-five. Uh, outside of Boston. yeah, I've heard that's, people
0: like to drink in Boston. That's
1: it. it was a college town. You know, because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of a lot of drinkers in Boston, but um, yeah, you know, Worcester allows uh, there's a venue called the Worcester Palladium, and I, I would say that's our hometown venue, even though it's you know our plus from where we all grew up. It's an old theater, and it's the stage where we we cut our teeth playing at a big stage. Instead of a small club stage. And it's uh, also the small room, so you can play at the, the 600 cap smaller venue. But downstairs, it's 2600 cap. And I know that stage better than any stage in the planet. Um, mm. I know how to get around and know where to go to get down the barricade and where to go get, get back up. Um, you know, when you're trying to interact with the crowd. It's my favorite venue to play uh, easily. But my favorite city to play is is Tokyo. Oh. Uh, we played Japan eight times. Tokyo, all, all eight, eight of those times. The passion from the crowds there, the way that they respect musicians uh, for art in general, it's over the top. I really, really enjoy visiting Japan. Uh, it's a beautiful country. It's unlike anywhere else on the planet. We've been to a bunch of Asian countries and cities. And the only place that I've seen that is remotely similar is Taipei in Taiwan. We were just there in uh February, kind of similar, but it's more of a mix between Japan and China. Uh, but I really, I really enjoy China. I think it's beautiful. The culture mm-hmm. is wonderful. The food is delicious. And it's just, it's I, like a different, a different world there.
0: Yeah. I've, I've been to Tokyo and I would, I wouldn't be surprised that even just being a fan and going to a concert of a band is something that they pride themselves on being the best fans. You know what I mean? I can see that. They
1: truly are. And we've had some long-term fans that they always come meet us uh, either at the airport or train station or hotel or at the venue beforehand. That They'll know when we're getting in just for the picture, the, the autograph, and a quick hello. And it's, it's really, it's very respectful and very cool. It's good to see these people come every time. We're so excited to be back in Japan as well. It's one of the only places I've ever stayed longer after a tour just to explore more usually you know a hightail homes to your loved ones. But uh I'm so enamored with Japan that I could live there if the conditions are right one day. Uh, it's such a beautiful place.
2: The Wretched the Runest. the video was shot in Tokyo, right? Yeah, I remember yeah. yeah, that was a great that's a great live video.
1: That happened. That was funny because we we were waiting for the, the mix of the record and the artwork and a couple other loose ends were late and didn't have a release date for the record. It finally got decided. By the time it was decided, we were like, all right, time to shoot the first video. And it was in December of 2022 to shoot the video. But all the producers that we wanted to work with were already working on something. And then it was the holidays. We had a deadline. Hmm. And I knew we were going to Japan. Excuse me. So I reached out to our old label. And I'm like, hey, what about doing a video in Japan? Because so we're doing two shows. They're both selling it really well. So we needed to be packed, if not sold out. And he reached out to a younger videographer. And we agreed to terms. And... Sure enough, both shows sold out and pure mayhem at the shows. And the energy was especially that second show. We played the first show with a smaller club, but 250 cap room was so killer. Day two was in the bigger one, like 450, 500 cap. And it was just pure fire from the second we we hit the first note and just a giant circle pit. It was I'm getting the chills thinking about it. Like my <laughs> That's so cool. You know,
0: That's um, fantastic.
1: And the adrenaline that we felt just because it has been a long way since we had played a
2: show. Man, it was, it was so fun. It was shot so well. The way the video like kind of slows down as it goes into the breakdown. And I get the chance too. It's it <laughs> Oh my gosh. Trevor, thank you so much for, for joining us. I have one last question and you kind of opened the door for it talking about Vanishment, which is my favorite song off the Stings of Conscience. That's the track where I'm like, oh my God, these guys are influenced by everybody. Because at the very end of the track, I hear like, Pantera, corrosion of conformity, down that like groove metal stuff. That I'm like, ah, oh, they they listen to everything, not just in flames, not just the hardcore stuff.
1: lead and Sue.
2: Yes, I I've, I love that. That's my favorite song on that on your first album. breaks
1: hey, hey, uh, breakdown right in the
2: middle. That song is a good example of kitchen sink song structure you put everything in there you put everything in there
1: (laughs) you know and was like in the early days was uh it was basically that it was no structure it's what early material dude
2: i love it man my question is like one of my favorite songs of that you guys have done is throws of remission on watch and the extended cut of watchers of rule and i know that that's like wasn't intended to be part of the album because the album stops and then you have that and the slayer but that song I fucking love. I love the main riff for it.
1: You know what's funny about you saying this is literally three or four days ago, P- Peter Layman, our guitar player, uh, so we're, we're always talking about what, you know, what songs we want to resurrect. He wrote to our, our, <laughs> our pastor Shane like, man, that song throws a remission, gets me every time. We should consider playing that. I'm like, dude, we've never even attempted to play it. It almost didn't make the record. It's it, like, I love that song. And then literally a day or two later, someone wrote online, much, was it you maybe Someone No in the, man, it's crazy. <laughs> No in one week now this is three different people saying well, that I've never heard it before uh,
2: Well there it is man my my question to you is like what are your deep cuts that you really like you want to resurrect <laughs> What's, What's So hard about
1: that is is that you put so much effort in every song I I could play any song and enjoy it that we have in our catalog God that's the right answer but but the certain ones that we never played there's a song off our album The March called Cutman. And mm. I just really enjoyed the song. We never even attempted it live. Sometimes you can attempt a song live and it doesn't get the response you're looking for. So you, you look mm. at it. So that, that's an album cut. We like the song, but it's it's not a live one. Where a song like This Line World was never a single, but it's never left the set because it's a song right. that everyone, if we can play a, a crowd of new faces, but it gets a response because it's the way the song is built and structured. But Imposter's Kingdom was a song I really liked to play. Uh, we only played it maybe half a dozen times. Um, another song, I think, as the fire, this time was mine. That's a really emotional, charged, lyrical song for me. So I really enjoyed playing it last night. I got those emotions uh, flowing. I I could pick songs from every record. But I really, on this this new record, I'm really aiming for us to play Eradicator and hopefully Broken Arrow. And theater's a war. Man, I I want to do the whole record, but it's tough to, to do a new record in its entirety. Um, without bombing out your long term fans,
0: Eradicator was the first song that I heard that I said this. This is probably the hardest song I've ever liked.
1: It's a song that when we ask the questions on our social, you know, what songs you want to hear from the record, that one gets the most amount of people wow. Eradicator, yeah. Eradicator. So I know we're we're starting to talk about you know, rehearsing it. So that hopefully that one sees the light of the day in the store. Uh, might need an extra push for Broken Arrow. Uh, I like that song a lot because it's so different for us. Yeah, um, it's not the typical heavy banger it's more of a, a heavy it's more of a hardcore meets heavy rock song why wow, i like it so much
2: well I'll, I'll throw a couple more votes in for throws of remission if you guys want to resurrect that one that song is so fucking good and that riff that main riff that you tease a couple times and then play out ah oh, it's just it that's my favorite unearthed riff it
1: is oh yeah, yeah. i like the breakdown, breakdown the
2: breakdown's it's phenomenal
1: breakdown would, would uh would create some very positive violence in the bit Yes, positive violence.
0: That's pretty much it for what we've got. Go to unearthofficial.com and get this vinyl. Evil and I both have it. It's fantastic. It really is. I, As I said in the quickfire uh, that we did back when this first came out, this is the heaviest album I've ever liked. Uh, this is a fantastic... It's a fantastic album. It really is. Uh, also go to at unearth official. That is their Instagram tag. They're always posting. They're showing you where they tour. They never are not fucking touring. Uh, I'll end it with this besides a deep thank you, Trevor, for joining us. If you could summarize shortly or in a couple sentences, what the new album is about, what would you say that it's about?
1: Uh, this is. uh, very first concept record. It's basically solely about the effects of mankind on the planet and how uh, we need to change our actions very quickly, or else we're going to live a short and bleak future. It also dips into how divided we are and how a difficult change will be. That's the song "Theaters of War," where we're so polarized with you know our belief system and certain things. You know whether we believe they are right or right along. It's not going to matter in the long run. You can't get our shit together with our only place to live better then our differences will seem small and they won't matter
0: at all well you're not going to get any argument here uh, Trevor thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for taking the very small amount of time off you take and talking to us we really appreciate it Evil's going to be smiling for a while I think thank you so much yep. I appreciate yep. the time
1: very much a very cool conversation Would we'll come back anytime yes thank you yes awesome. please
0: do please do yeah. thanks Trevor no. Evil, are you happy?
2: I'm so happy.
0: I'm so happy right now I mean, Trevor Phipps, ladies and gentlemen Just cool
2: as shit I am pleased to be able to share this band with everybody Even if you're not a metalhead, go check them out They're so fucking good Mm -hmm. and their intentions are so fucking good. Their work ethic is so fucking
0: good. Everything about this band is so fucking good. I've never not liked an interview, I'll say that. What I will add to that is there are some interviews where you just are gonna kinda stay stressed out the whole time. You're wondering where it's gonna go. You're wondering how you're gonna get it there. You're wondering where things are going. He was just such a casual dude that it quickly turns into a conversation and those are the kind of people that it's so easy to root for to me.
2: Right. Yeah. Casual yet thoughtful. Like he, yes. you could tell that he really, number one, appreciated the the audience. Mm-hmm. And so the reciprocation is there. And then he's just, yeah, he's just a, a good, solid guy, thoughtful about his questions, like took time to actually answer things and give back to not just fan base, but anybody who's listening. So I, once again, big fan huge fan of this band you are oh just a little bit just a little bit
0: that's on earth that was trevor phipps go check out their new album the wretched and the ruinous it's fucking great go support them go to the tour do what you can when this comes out like we said they're going to be on the east coast they're going to be going up to canada uh, verse course at verse pod evil Thank you for talking to this gentleman with me. Thank
2: you for contacting him and doing me a solid because that was awesome.
0: It was an easy one. This guy's cool as shit, man. Yep, absolutely. Everybody, we will see you on the next interview next week. Good night and good luck.